Ministries and Intimate Local Christian Church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this And the Word, which is the Lord, God the Son, deity, became flesh, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, true humanity, and lived among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten one from God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. At Barah Ministries, we study the Bible, the Word of God, the Lord's exact thinking, and it describes Jesus in so many ways. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17 say this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. There's another one of those hard words to pronounce that you got a pastor who can pronounce that. Say amen. Amen. All right. So (laughs) when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Matthew 16, 14. And the disciples said, some say the son of man is John the Baptist and others say Elijah. But still others say the Son of Man is Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Matthew 16, 15. Jesus said to them, But who do you say I am? Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona means Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man, and we're happy to celebrate him by learning his word. Well, it's homecoming weekend for our non-resident congregation, and we have been so happy to have you here. Please clap for yourselves. Yeah. Thank you. But I know you're clapping for me. I, you know, I'm not going to make you say it. But when Christians have get-togethers like this, I often hear them say, there's just something about face-to-face teaching. Sorry, folks, that's not it. What we should be saying is there's something about intimate relationships. See, that's what we have. We have intimate relationships. We can talk to each other. And we can challenge each other on the things that we think. And we can have meaningful conversations about it. 
I was talking to Cindy Christensen uh, about this because she and Denny and Larry torqued me yesterday. And I had the residual anger about it this morning. And so I was just kind of telling her, you know, when, when I'm talking to the average person about something that I'm upset about, and they give me one of those panacea answers like, oh, your, your son will come around. I just want to punch him in the face. Right, but when I'm talking to three people that I trust about it, it's a whole different experience. It's an intimate experience. And what I'm looking for from them is not a solution, because I know what the solution is. The solution is unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. What I'm looking for them for from them is a different way to hold the problem in my head. Because I honestly do want to take a plastic knife and stick it in my son's eye. I do. But I'm not going to do that. Right? I'm not going to do that because that's illegal and I would go to jail and then there'd be nobody to teach you anything. But the other reason I'm not going to do it is because I have a God who has given me self-control. And I can be upset and still do the right thing. And that's one of the benefits of being a Christian, that we can, do, we can be upset and do the right thing still. We don't have to follow our nature because our nature is just to stay angry and to stay upset. And that's not what I want to do. It's not how I want to live my life. So us being together in these get-togethers is about intimate relationships. What we should be saying is not there's something about face-to-face teaching. We ought to be saying there's something that happens when gratitude floods our soul. I'm grateful for you and the relationships we've established over time. I'm grateful for those of you who are new to Barah Ministries, who are trying to learn, is there a God? Is the Bible his exact thinking, or is this just a book of a bunch of stories that are written by a bunch of guys? And we made decisions about that. And what we should be saying is that there's really something when we actually feel unconditional love, not just talk about it, you know, not just have the words and play the pretend game, the pretend Christian game. So I am really grateful for you. And I think you should also be saying that there's something special about serving each other. You know, Denise Jones, from my point of view, is the standard of a Christian who serves. Because, because she goes way out of her way, in every way, totally, to make sure that people in this congregation are taken care of. And is not a respecter of persons in that regard. So whether she knows you or she doesn't know you, she's always giving of herself. And most people who see her from the outside think she's a fool because she does that. But she has a home here in Barah Ministries, where we don't think that. We don't think she's a fool for doing it. We're grateful for it. We appreciate it. And we like being at the effect of having somebody who is selfless enough to do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Girlfriend can burn. And, you know, this, this miraculous thing happened today. So Denise decided to get here early with the food. So I actually got to eat before I came up here. So I'm not nearly as hostile as I normally am. 
so good. So that's what's really going on here. It's not about the face-to-face teaching, although I know I understand being in front of me and looking at this beautiful face is a wonderful experience for you. Amen? Amen. All right. But I, I look the exact same on the screen, so, yeah. What? <laughs> There's no talking in here. <laughs> Only me, that's right. <laughs> so this, honestly, this has been a special weekend, and it's always a special time to get together with this special group of people who, who cares and who wants to learn about Christ. That's uh, an amazing experience. See, if we realized how vital this is to our souls, how much our souls absolutely crave these things, we would do it more. And we wouldn't be worried about how much the fare is. Southwest Airlines is cheap. (laughs) So I'd like to see you guys come more. The next event that we have scheduled is Pastor Appreciation Weekend in October. You know I got extra rooms. What did you say? Oh, yeah. Now, I was talking about here. But, yeah, we've got the Coeur d'Alene Conference up in Idaho, which if you haven't been to Coeur d'Alene in the summer, is the most amazing place that you ever thought about going to in the summer. So we're going to have our 11th conference up there this year, and it's a blast. So think about joining us. But anyway, thank you for being here and for the difference you make to the souls in your periphery. See, Kurt has heard that my spitting habits out of no longer in place, so he doesn't mind coming right up here and getting the shower. One time he was sitting up here and I, I was talking. He said, hey, man, give me the news, not the weather, okay? Like, okay, thanks, Kurt. All right, so let's start with some music. Do you know God is the question. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 say this. For this reason I, Paul, bow my knees before God the Father. He's bowing his knees in prayer. Ephesians three fifteen, From whom every family in heaven the angelic family, and on earth, human families, derives its name. Well, Francesca Battistelli is right. He knows my name. Choose me first if I was looking for a champion. In fact, 
He knows my name. Knew it a billion years ago before he created me. That's an amazing thing. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for another chance to learn about you through the study of your Word. Make the things we hear today help us to get a clear picture of the things you have prepared for those who love you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. So the homecoming lesson that is next is Jesus Son of man, son of God, and that'll be by Pastor John Farley. So let me just catch you up. So we've got a couple of guests, my friend Brett Austin and his girlfriend Bree. So you guys are welcome, and please make them feel welcome with us today. We don't do that every week, so just just so you know, I mean, that that was special. (laughs) So... So what we've been doing this weekend, we, you know, the people that study with me on the internet came in and we, uh, we've been studying. I invited the pastor who ordained me, Pastor John Farley, to join us. And he's been teaching on Jesus as the Son of Man and the Son of God. The first two days he taught about the Son of Man and now he's going to teach about the Son of God. And then uh, my first lesson was how God sees us, looking through God's eyes at us. The second lesson was how Satan sees us, the enemy of God, and he, of course, sees us the same way that God sees us, only he hates what he sees and looks to destroy it, which is not fun. And then today, my lesson will be uh, the Lord's Supper lesson. So after Pastor Farley does his lesson, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together, which is great. And if you, uh, we're going to actually be serving wine today, so if you are... If you are in a 12-step program, which most of you are, whether you admit it or not, then I just wanted to warn you in advance that there's going to be wine. And also want to let you know that uh, you are more than welcome to gather at my house after. Afterward, I'm going to be around all afternoon just sitting by the pool, sunning myself. That this, this darkness does not come just from sitting in the house. So uh, you guys are welcome to come on over. All right, so... Uh, let me introduce Pastor John Farley. And I I just want you to know I love Pastor John Farley. Since John likes the King James Version of the Bible, (laughs) for his introduction, I thought it wise to give ye (laughs) a few these and thous to invite him to the pulpit for his third lesson this weekend. Elizabeth Barrett Browning was a celebrated poet of the Romantic movement in Britain in the 19th century Victorian era. And I choose her words to celebrate my intimate friend. How do I love thee, John? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs. And I love thee with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love 
I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, the smiles, the tears of all my life. And if God chooses, I shall but love thee better after death. Yeah, man. You feeling me, dog? (laughs) (laughs) I am. I'm feeling thee. Ye are watching he feel thee. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Isn't it? Let's welcome up Pastor John Farley. And let's thank him for the fantastic job he's done this weekend. Take over, my man. I bet I better remember that, you know. Am I on now? Can you hear me in two ways? Okay, great. Sri Lanka, yeah. <laughs> they had to get up at midnight. You know? <laughs> oh, Lord. Are you going to sing now? No. Oh, Lord. No? All right, just checking. Won't you buy me? Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you all for having me again. Love each, each and every one of you. You're a symphony. You know what a symphony is? You have all individual instruments, but they all play together. One, one goal, one musical piece, and it's just amazing to watch you in action. So, and thank you for that. I also want to say hello to um, the two people that are um, tuning in from Lighthouse Bible Church <laughs> this morning. <laughs> um, well, thank you for... Uh, giving me away for, for a weekend so that I could be here and uh, look forward to coming back. Okay, so as Rory, Pastor Clark said, um, the subject I've been teaching this weekend is Son of Man and Son of God. These are two titles for the Lord Jesus Christ. They have meaning. We've already seen quite a bit about the Son of Man and what that title means. He is the Son of David. He is the Messiah. He, was the, pro- he is the promised King of Israel. One day he will come back in the clouds and he will descend to earth and he will bring all of the remnant of Israel back into the kingdom, the kingdom that's set up in Jerusalem. The whole world will worship the Lord and he'll be in Jerusalem, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but the Son of Man had to do with his humanity and his humanity was what allowed him to die for our sins 
and be buried in the ground for three days and be raised from the dead by God the Father on, on the third day. So we've seen that about the Son of, of God, the Son of Man. And um, let me make sure these are the right slides. Yeah, these aren't the right slides for some reason. Probably my fault. <laughs> I'm sure. I sent, the, I sent my slides to the wrong person the first night. So bear with me. Did, did I, you got them, right? You sent some to me. But did I you get it? Okay. Were. Maybe I sent you the wrong file. This should be. This should be Sunday. There should be a PowerPoint that says Sunday on it. Denise, you sent me something too. That was old. Okay. Yeah, that was from Friday night. Yeah. You have a, your computer here? Of course not. Oh, you know what? Though I might have. I always put it on a USB. I just can't remember if I did last night. <laughs> huh? Yeah, does it say Sunday on it? The file? I don't need slides. I knew it was my fault. See if, uh, see if it's on there. Somebody to sneak back and get another cup of coffee? <laughs> yeah, All right, you yeah. have 40 minutes left. <laughs>
All right, get the tape. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to look at the subject of Jesus Christ, the title of the Son of God. Um, the name of the Son of God speaks of Jesus' relationship with his Father, period. After all, the name would suggest it, right? Son of God. I know this is simple, but sometimes I think it's really important to just zoom in on the essence of something. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to zoom in on the essence of what it means for Jesus Christ to be God the Son and what his relationship was like, is like, with God the Father. And um, so again, just to summarize the difference between the title Son of Man and what it means and the title Son of God and what it means, the Son of Man has to do with Jesus Christ's mission on earth on behalf of you and I, men and women. All right, so there's mission, and it's on men and women. On the other hand, the Son of God is a relationship. Jesus isn't on a mission with his Father. He has a relationship with his Father. And that relationship is unique. He is the unique Son of God. We're called adopted sons and daughters of God when we don't have the relationship that Jesus Christ has with God the Father. So that's the basics of it. So again, Son of God, relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, you're going to have to bear with me, especially now, because um, in, the, in the Gospel of John, we get to listen to the Son talk about His Dad. We get to listen to the God the Son, in the form of the God-man, Jesus Christ, describe His relationship with His Heavenly Father. Okay? And in John 17, we actually get to hear the Son of God, Jesus Christ, speaking with His Father. Because chapter 17 is that great prayer. The whole chapter is a prayer between the Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, um, I had originally put together some material on that title, Son of God, in the, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, again, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the interest of time, however, I'm going to skip over that. I'm just going to say one thing about two things. Um, it's very interesting in the three uh, Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to see who calls Jesus the Son of God. It's very surprising. By the way, it's an interesting group of people, of angels, too. There's two angels that call him the Son of God. That would be the angel Gabriel when he's born and talks. Mary says, your holy child will be the son of God. Then there's the other angel, the wicked angel. Satan's an angel too. And he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. So it's very interesting that right away it's two angels. Whoops. And then there's um, the high priest when he's on trial. He says, are you the son of God? And then Jesus says, I am. Um, then there's a Roman centurion at his, at when Jesus Christ is dying on the cross and then he dies and there's an earthquake and there's incredible things happening and the Roman centurion was there to guard him and make sure that he was dead cried out, surely this was the Son of God. And then there's two others that we can't forget and that's of course Jesus himself. He calls himself the Son of God and God the Father calls him his Son. So I'm going to skip over all the details of that and get into the Gospel of John this morning. If you, again, I say this a lot, but if you're a speed reader, you can write all these scriptures down. But other than that, we're moving on. So the son of uh, the Synoptic Gospels talk about Jesus' identity. They identify him. The demons identify him. 
You're the Son of God. He had to say, Don't, you can't speak anymore. Because there's a time for that to be revealed, but you know it already. The demons knew who he was. The angels knew who he was. At a point in time, the high priest knew who he was. And the Roman centurion, when he died, knew who he was. So they knew who he was. But the Gospel of John, um, re- so and the Synoptic Gospels reveal identity. This is who you are. That's an identity. Your identity is the Son of God. But it's really in the Gospel of John that we see that relationship with the Father. Uh, shift to the Gospel of John now. It's no more about his identity. It's about his relationship with his Father. The essence of being a son. Um, I'd like you to uh, have patience with me. Jesus calls God the Father a hundred times in the Gospel of John, in various ways. And the other three combined, it's 46. So twice as much he talks about his Father's relationship with him in the Gospel of John. And actually in the other three Gospels, it's really not, he's really not talking, it's other people talking about him. So, um, so what is the relationship between Jesus and his Father? It's actually not complicated. It's right there in the title, Son of God. It's all bound up in what it means to be the perfect Father and the perfect Son. The perfect Father and the perfect Son. Fathers and sons, they share in so much, especially if they're perfect. They're of the same nature. Father bear and baby bear, both bears. My da- I know, but I'm just illustrating. My, my dad and I were both human beings. Irish human beings, in fact. That explained a lot in our relationship. God the Father, therefore, and God the Son are both. What's their nature? I'll say it again. It's real simple. God the Father and God the Son are both. So that's so the fathers and the sons share in their nature. They also share something else. They share in their life together. Fathers and sons share life together. Pastor Clark talked about intimate relationships. The father's son is designed to be that. Now remember I said perfect with God the Father and perfect with God the Son because none of us measure up to that in our human relationships. We, we try we give, we're given grace, but we still have that thing called the flesh and the body, and that interferes. Pastor Clark talked about self-control and about how the fact is you get angry. In Irish families, you get angry, and you stay angry for 10, 20, I'm really serious about this, 30 years. That's the flesh. That's the opposite of the perfect son and the perfect son. I'm not picking on my dad. That's true of all of us. We all have the flesh, and it interferes with the relationships that God has designed for us. But the Father and the Son, God the Father and God the Son, have that perfect life together. A good father and a good son have an intimate relationship. They have great love for each other. And yet the Father and Son are also individuals. They each have their own personality, as we say. Yet the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Like Father, like son. The son sees the father doing something and wants to do it with him or like him. My son Jack, uh, who's now in, at West Point Academy, learning the rigors of becoming a military man, taking up boxing now. He doesn't take it, they force him to box. Um, 
Yeah. But when he was little, he uh, learned how to cut food. And we all do, right? You have a nice steak cutting food. Well, he learned to cut from me, which was unfortunate because now he cuts his meat with his left hand because I'm left-handed. Unfortunately, he's right-handed. So he saw me cutting my meat with my left hand, and now he cuts it with his left, you know. And it's not even a mirror thing because if you think about it, if he's looking at me and I'm cutting and he's, he's just thinking about the mirror, he'd be cutting with his right hand. Does that make sense? But he cared about me, wanted to know, how does dad do it? And therefore, he cuts with his left hand. So a good father and a good son have a lot in common. Yet there's another aspect to a father and a son, even a perfect father and a perfect son, and that is that the father has authority over his son. The father has authority over his son. The father directs the activities of his son. Now, it's one thing for us to understand that in the human realm. But now we're going to shift to the Gospel of John and look about that, what that means for God the Father and God the Son. That even in that relationship, the Father has authority over the Son. The Father directs the activities of the Son. And by the way, it's not, it's not in His humanity. You know, sometimes we want to say, well, it was his humanity because he was human, God the Father. He looked up to him then, but he doesn't look up to him, you know. But it's not true. It's his Godhead. In the Godhead, there is order. There is an authority structure. God the Father sent God the Son. And then when God the Son went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. There's an order to things. And the Father t- takes precedence over the Son. He has authority and directs the activities of the Son. The father exercises his will, and the good son does the will of the father. See, there's an order there. See, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the father did the will of the son. That's never said. It's always the son did the will of the father. The father imparts knowledge to his son, and then the father sends his son to represent him at times. And to boil it all down, it comes down to this. The son is the subordinate to his father. And yet the father lives and acts in his son. The son carries out his father's will and purpose. And he does so in loving and joyful, if I could say that, submission. Now, we've been talking about the human relationship mostly. And, of course, that breaks down at a certain point when we're talking about divine relationship. God the father and God the son. But it is true that God the father... And God the Son are distinct people. But they share the same divine nature, the same essence as God. Now the Gospel of John is put together like a symphony. That's the best way. I, I've, I didn't invent that. I read it. But it, as I look through the Gospel, I realize more and more that's exactly right. It's written as a symphony. And in a symphony, the way, there's an order to a symphony, you know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in the, in the beginning, themes are introduced. You might, you might hear the tune for the first time. You might hear the dark, low notes for the first time. Though a second theme is introduced. Then what happens thereafter, and this is, you can see this marvelously in the, uh, in the writing, uh, comp- compositions of Bach, for example. Introduces one, introduces a second, and then there are all these variations on that first theme with the second theme. 
And then they, at, a, at a certain point in time, they're melded together so closely that you can't really tell the difference between the two themes anymore. That's exactly what the relationship between the Son and the Father is. There are two major themes. The first one is that the Father and the Son are one in nature and they're essential being. They're one. Think about the idea of them as being one. Just one, okay? That's the first major theme. Everything that they do, they share. They share in everything that has to do with being God. It's so tight that you can't tell the difference between the two when it comes to being that united essence God. As it says in John 10.30, I'll have you turn there now. John chapter 10, verse 30. We'll be in the Gospel of John, I think, exclusively from here on out this morning. Everything I'm going to say about this relationship, I got it from the Gospel of John. Okay? Because this is where Jesus talks about his unique relationship with his Father. For example, John chapter 10, verse 30, talks about that first theme in a perfect way, right? How can you, how can you improve on, I and the Father are one? That's the first theme. I and the Father are one. We're both God We both share this life that's always existed. We both share in one another's glory. I and the Father are one. That's the first theme. Now there's a second theme. And I've mentioned it already. Yet their relationship is ordered. There's an order to God the Father and God the Son. Now at first, in our human way of thinking, and this is never more true than it is in marriage, by the way. I'll throw that out there. We think there's a contradiction between being one and there being an order. It's like, I'm equal. Don't tell me there's an order in the marriage, right? It's 50-50. It's, by the way, I don't want to preach on marriage. That's not why we're here this weekend. But I can't help at least saying this, that if God the Son, who is God with God the Father, and He submits to an order where God the Father takes precedence and, his, and, he's, and the Son takes his guidance from the Father, certainly we could do that in marriage. I'll just throw that out there. And their relationship is ordered. The Father is the head of the Son. The Son is subordinate to the Father. The the Son submits to the authority of his Father. Now, don't take my word for it. That may sound jarring, but I want you to just put aside any preconceived notions or, or anxiety you might have about what they just said, and let's just look at what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. And again, this, that their relationship is ordered, that Jesus, that the Son of God, submits to the authority of his Father, we are not, not, not talking about his humanity. That's so important to understand. Why? Because then you say, well, existed, this relationship existed in his humanity, and now he's up in heaven, and he's God, and that does, that's not true anymore. It is true. It'll always be true. At the end of the story, when Jesus Christ has come back and he's ruled for a thousand years... And then he gets everything together in a perfect way. And and we read in 1 Corinthians 15 that he then turns it all over to the Father. He says, this is yours, okay? You take precedence. So this this is what Jesus teaches us. I want you to turn now to John chapter 14, verse 28. John chapter 14, verse 28. told you I'm having mercy on you today. See, isn't that nice Sunday morning? Sunday morning coming down. 
John 14, 28. This is the second theme. Notice, you have heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. He's talking about go, he's going back to the Father now. He's going to die on the cross the next day. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to spend 40 days more on earth in his resurrection body. And then he's going to skyrocket to heaven in something we call the ascension. He says, I go away and I will come to you. John 14, 28. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. But notice what he says at the end of verse 28. Here's the second theme. For the Father is greater than I. So I and the Father are one. At the same time, the Father is greater than I. Now, he's not a greater God than Jesus. They're both equally God. But again, this is mind-blowing to think about it, but even in the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's still an order. They're one, and there's an order. The Father is greater than I. They are one, and then they are distinct. They have one nature, and yet they're distinct with how they operate. The Son is, the Father is the head of the Son. The Father is the head of the Son. The Son is subordinate to the Father. That's true in the, in, the, in the deity of Jesus Christ. Just like it's true in the family. This is the way it's supposed to be. The Father is the head of the Son. The Son subordinates to the Father. Now, in, in chapter... Well, they are again, they are one. right? They're one in nature now. And yet they're distinct with respect to how they operate. You see, see this, that's the, that is, when you look at it, the beauty of their relationship is that it operates. There's an order. Like, can you... Like, well, again, I'll talk about marriage. When you have two people with two wills, and they both want their will be done, you got a mess. But if one submits to the other, and now I'm talking about God again, and says, God, the Father, you're going to have the precedence. It's going to be your will. You're, I'm going to receive everything that I need for the things you asked me to carry out f- from you. And then in that sense, I'm subordinate to you. Okay. They are distinct in nature. And yet, they are one in nature, yet distinct with respect to how they operate. They operate together, but they operate in a certain order. And in John chapter 14, a little earlier, just go back up a few verses to verse 8. I want you to watch as Jesus weaves these two together like a symphony. Notice, John chapter 14, verse 8. He's now in what we call the upper room discourse. He's with his disciples. They've just celebrated the first Lord's Supper t- together. And he's going to teach them things about him and the Father as, all, as well as about what's going to happen when he goes to the Father. In John 14, 8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And if I were Jesus at that point, I'd say, listen, I've been with you for three years. Isn't that enough? You know, what do you mean? It'll be enough. I'll finally be satisfied, Jesus, if you show us the Father. And yet, the humility of Jesus, you know, just he responded, although he did, he did. Look at verse 9. He said to Philip, have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Now, what what did Philip ask? Lord, show us the Father. How did Jesus reply? You have not come to know me. What does that mean? He and the Father are one, right? Okay, there's that. 
Then he goes on. He says, he, he explains that he who has seen me has seen the Father. They're one. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, there's no closer union when one is in one and the other is in the I mean, how does that even work? Like human, humanly, we can't even contemplate that, right? One has got to be in the other, but they're both in each other somehow. Why? Because they're God and they don't operate in the human realm. Let's keep going, though. Again, in verse 10, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? But then notice what he says right after that. He says, The words that I say, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. Now, there's, can you see the, the subordinate now? Can you see how there's an order now? He says, listen, I don't say anything on my own initiative. The Father tells me what to say. And, I, and He abides in me, and, and, he, and we both do His works. See, the, the, the precedence is the Father, His will, His words, His works. And then verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Unity and order. These things run together with God the Father and God the Son. But how does it actually work? I mean, doesn't the Son get tired of being subordinate to the Father? You know, like the, like the sons in uh, the prodigal son story. Don't they like say like the elder brother, man, I've been working for you all these years. What have I got out of it? But Jesus doesn't say that ever, right? Why? How does it work? How can you have unity and have an order to the relationship? Well, it works perfectly for one reason, and this does translate into the human realm. It all works perfectly because they love each other. They understand that, that they're, they're, they both are this, the one united. They, there's an order where the Father has His will and His works and His words, and then the, father, and the Son submits to all of that, and it all works perfectly because they love each other. They always have, and they always will. Let's continue in the Gospel of John to see how this works. And as we do so, let's be on the lookout for expressions of unity as well as order. And again, just to hammer this point home, because this is the harder one, there's an order to their relationship. For example, please turn to John chapter 3, verse 17. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Now, at first, you might not automatically recognize the order here, but there certainly is. The, God the Father sent the Son into the world. The Father sends the Son. Now, to understand the order here, just turn it around. See, does that work? Does the Son send the Father ever? Any, any, no. It's always the Father sending the Son. You see, the Father has precedence. It's the Father's will that the Son carries out. The Son does not send the Father. But notice the mission now. Not only does He send Him, but the Father determines the mission. He chooses the mission. We talked about the Son of God having a mission, but where did it come from? It came from the Father, right? He sent him. And the mission was not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The Father chooses the mission, not the Son. Please look at John chapter 12, verse 44. John chapter 12, verse 44. 
We're going we're gonna to look at the first two verses, 44 and 45, and then we're going to skip down a few to 49, just so you get a preview of where we're headed. But John chapter 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out. Now, this is the last opportunity he has to convince the Jews that he's the Son of Man and the Son of God. Okay? This is right before he's going to go along with his disciples, and then he's going to be taken out of the garden, and from then forward, the nation of Israel is his dread enemy. It's over. There's no more opportunity for them to see and recognize that he's their Messiah and that he's God's Son. This is the last opportunity Jesus has. John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out, and he said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Even in the matter of believing, he said, you don't believe in me, you believe in him who sent me. Now there's another one that's kind of jarring because we see the gospel as believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that's certainly true. But then we have to, it's a marvelous thing now to bring in this picture. Wait a minute, but God the Father and God the Son are one. And yet there's an order. And so here there's an order even to believing. And if you notice in the Gospel of John, there are quite a few times when it talks about believing in the Father. Quite a few, actually. For then he, so notice, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. There it is again, him who sent me. And then here's the unity. Notice, it's amazing. On the one hand, there's an order. All right? He sent me. And then in the very next verse, verse 45, but he who sees me sees the one who sent me. And in that one verse, we see both of them again. That's the weaving together. That's the symphony. He who sees me sees the one. I and the Father are one, but he's the one who sent me, so there's an order. Please drop down to verse 49. For I did not speak on my own initiative. None of the words that Jesus said, he decided to say. The Father himself sent me. And he's given me a commandment. Now think about this. The Father gives commandments to the Son. Not the other way around. The Son does not give commandments to the Father. It works one way. The Father has given me a commandment. He says, this is what you will say and this is what you will speak. Can you see the authority in that? Can you see the submission? Now it's a joyful, loving submission for sure. But there's still an order. And the Son respects the authority of the Father. He who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm going to die for you, He's saying. His commandment is eternal life. By me following completely the instructions that He's given me, Jesus says, by me fulfilling His commandments perfectly, you know what happens? Human beings get eternal life. And there's that love coming right around again. Right? Jesus, Jesus loves us, but really the love comes from God the Father. If you think about it, in John 3.16, does it say, Jesus so loved the world that He gave His one and only Father? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work. It's one way. God, the love, He initiates. He's the one that, that Jesus then listens to and says, I know you love the whole world, and I do too, but this is your game. This is your will that's being done here. And I know that when I submit to that, even to the point of dying on a cross, then I know that your will, your greater will, that these would have eternal life, would be fulfilled. And he does it out of perfect love. Out of perfect love for the Father, and of course, love like the Father's love, like Father, like Son, for the world. 
Notice that again. Verse 50. I know that His commandment, the Father, is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. How much trouble would sons have avoided if they just actually did that too, right? I speak just as my Father has told me. Now also the Father provides for the Son, not the other way around. Alright, the Father provides for the Son. Please look at John chapter 3, verse 34. And we'll see once again this unity and this order. John chapter 3, verse 34. For he whom the Father has sent. God has sent. That's the order, right? God sends the Son. Son doesn't send the Father. Speaks the words of God. That's submission as well. That's That's the Son doing the will of the Father. Obeying the commandments of the Father. But then notice. For he, God the Father, gives the Spirit without measure. God provides everything that the Son needs. Okay, God gives the Spirit without measure. And then verse 35, why does it all work so perfectly? Because the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Can you see how it all works perfectly now? Right? When the Son is the, obeys the commandments of the Father and the Father loves the Son and gives Him everything He needs. The Father, Jesus knows that how much He's loved. God the Son knows how much He's loved. He's loved so much that all the things are given into His hand. God the Father has precedence, but then He gives it all to His Son. Right? A lot of sons are happy when that happens because they get the inheritance, right? But that's not what we're talking about here, right? Not only that, but the son obeys the father and depends on him. The son obeys the father and depends on him. The father doesn't submit to the son. The father is not dependent on the son. The son is dependent on the father. Look at John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. I want you to notice, now we think about Jesus, we think about Him dying on the cross, we think about His disciples, we think about all, all the ones that He has, when He was here on earth, He had a group of people, they followed Him, they were His disciples. When he dies on the cross and he is raised from the dead, people believe in him and they become children of God. But I want you to notice how Jesus sees it. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. See how the focus is on the Father? He's saying, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. By the way, that has nothing to do with the predestination and election in terms of a Calvinist viewpoint. A lot of times that passage is used for that. And it's basically just saying, look, the Father takes precedence. He's the giver. Okay, that's how it starts. And then they come, the ones who come to, you can turn that around. The ones that come to me, the Father has given to me. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. Notice, he came down from heaven. Now, did the humanity of Jesus come down from heaven? No. The humanity of Jesus happened when the Holy Spirit supernaturally um, created a baby with Mary, and then that's the humanity of Jesus. When he was born of a woman, 
So the, the humanity of Jesus did not come down from heaven. Now, the second time he will, but this is the first time. For I have come down from heaven. That means he's God. He's God the Son. Not to do my own will. So if there's any doubt about the fact that he's talking about this in terms of his Godhead as being the Son of God, I think that clears it up. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. So the Father... Oh, the Father gives him what he needs. The Son is totally dependent on the Father. The Son obeys the Father. And yet, they share all things. They share all things. <laughs> what can I say? You would think after 20 years of preaching behind pulpits with uh, devices, I would figure it out. John seven thirty seven. All right. No, I'm sorry. They share all things, right? So in other words, the Son obeys the Father, totally dependent on Him. There's the order, and yet they share everything. They're completely united. I and the Father are one. Let's talk about how they're one now. We've talked about a lot about how there's precedence and order, and the Son respects the authority of the Father. We've talked about that part, the order. Father and then the Son, right? Father sends the Son, Son does the will of the Father. Now let's look at the unity. Let's look at the fact that they're all but there are two of them are one in essence. They're one in essence. There's a unity. They share all things. They're one in essence. And that means what? That they're both God, right? They're, they're united in everything. Um, they share the same life. By the way, the life that they share is, is more than even eternal life, I want to say it, because it's also self-existent life. Not only did it exist forever and will always exist forever, but it, it, they exist independently of anything. I, mean, I don't know how to put this, but uh, we're going to have eternal, let me put it this way, we're going to have eternal life as believers in Christ. But we will never have self-existent life. We will never have a life that came originally from us. But their life came from them. That's the difference. I just want to make, make that understand why I say it that way. John chapter 14, verse 7. John 14, verse 7. If ye had known me, ye would have known my Father also. (laughs) Because Jesus spoke in the King James English. You didn't know that. Come on. He did not. He spoke Aramaic and Greek. Shh. Just enough out of you. There's always like some smart pupil in the front that is just waiting for the teacher to slip up. John 14, 7. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. For now on you do know him and have seen him. There's that unity. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And then verse 8, we saw this earlier. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father? And the Father is in me. Total unity. They're also united in action. They act together. And, and it, it, let's look at John chapter 5, verse 19 for that. Like father, like son. 
They act together. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. Now, I know you all were complaining on the inside when I was taking you to Isaiah and Daniel and <laughs> Habakkuk, first, second, second. I didn't take you to, did anybody catch I didn't actually take you to Habakkuk. No, but. I ain't no fool. Yeah, I mean, come on. I'm not going to. Although I have the big advantage. That if I can find it, I can put it in my notes so I don't have to find it again. <laughs> so now we're just in John. I don't want to hear any complaints. You're in one book all morning, all right? Although I did start noticing that I'm going back and forth between the later chapters and the earlier and the later. I didn't even realize I was doing that. There's a lot of things I don't realize I'm doing. I could have a bloody nose and not even realize it. John chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it's something that He sees the Father doing. Like Father, like Son. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. They act together. They act as one. Whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. For the Father, here it is again. How does it all work? Love. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. When the Son acts, it's actually the Father acting in him. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even also the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. When, even in the human life, when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, and the people were weeping, and he wept, and then he performed that miracle, Lazarus, come forth. He's been in the grave four days. He was, he was giving him life, but actually it was the life that the Father gave the Son to give to Lazarus. Even in that, there's an order, and yet they share in that. They share in that so closely that when Jesus says that he's doing it, we can always infer that the Father's doing it too. Okay. That, by the way, that eliminates lots of confusion. There's a lot of people get confused in the Gospel of John because all of a sudden they'll come upon a passage and they say, I thought that was Jesus. I thought that was the God the Son. I'm confused. I've got to come up with a new doctrine because now that one, that one said God the Father. So I guess I'm going to have to check out the Greek a little bit there. And, you know, is it, is it Father with a capital F? Is it Son with a little s? You know. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Now that relationship, just like the perfect Father and the perfect Son ought to have, is intimate. It's intimate. It's an intimate relationship. See, you've been stealing my notes again, Pastor Clark. Look at John chapter 1, verse 18, to see what we mean by intimate. John chapter 1, verse 18. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. So what does it mean to be in the bosom of the Father? It means this. (laughs) He's holding Him. He's hugging him. He's in the bosom of the Father. That, that's the closest thing that Jesus could say that a human being could understand about how intimate the Father and the Son really are. It boggles the mind. We can, again, we can look at it 
Jesus was a great teacher and he would look at something that he wanted to teach them about heavenly things, but he would use earthly things so they could get the hang of it, right? That's the only thing. If, if like when, when Paul goes up and uh, visits heaven, you know, he does that in 2 Corinthians, um, and he comes back, he says, I saw things up there that are too wonderful to even speak about. Even speak about. Then he gets a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> and that was not a coincidence. Pastors get thorns in the flesh. You get thorns in the flesh. When you get an insight about the Word of God, and by the way, you know who allows the thorn? Your loving Heavenly Father. And now you want to know why? Because just like Paul, I don't want to get a big head. The Lord knew I, when I saw that, man, I get a big head. I go out there and want to write a book that, you know what, I went to heaven, let me tell you what I see. Hmm. Does that ever happen? Have you ever seen a book in the Christian book, the Christian bookstore? It talks about my son was four years old and he died and he went to heaven and he told me that he saw his grandma and his grandma wanted to say this and say that and everyone's like, oh, woo, that's wonderful. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You think that's how God would do it? He'd say, you know what, my, sending my son wasn't enough. I'm going to get somebody's four-year-old. Four-year-old. <laughs> and, <have, laughs> and yet we buy it. I don't buy it, but not anymore anyway, but... Just like so many said, oh, the shack, what a wonderful book, the shack. The shack is blasphemous. It's blasphemous. Oops. Anyone who wants to leave now, go right ahead. You know, I, could, I have more. <laughs> What's that one where the, where the woman says that she speaks to Jesus every day and she writes down what he's have to say? What is that one? It's another one. Oh, good, you don't know. Wow. <laughs> Rory, I'm impressed with your congregation. They don't even know. They're, they're special. I'm telling you, they are. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I, get, I put a couple more minutes on the clock, will you? We've been celebrating and having too much fun. What do I got left? Darn. And then talking about unity, they are one in glory. The glory of the one is the glory of the other. They are united. They are one in glory. They glorify each other. What is glory, what is glory Rory? Yeah. Glory is basically... Glory is basically God revealing some of who he is to the universe. That's the glory. The glory is God saying, this is me. And in all, like, what, like when Moses said, show, show me your glory, right? He says, you couldn't stand to see it all. But as I'm passing by, you're going to get a glimpse, right? So once in a while, we have the same thing. We get a glimpse of what, it, what the Godhead really is. You know, that's glory. John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these things, and here we go, lifting his eyes to heaven. Now Jesus is done talking about the Father, and now he's going to talk to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now what's pretty amazing about that? In light of our, our hopefully the two themes that we have this morning. Who glorifies first? The Father glorifies the Son. Even in that, there's an order. The Father glorifies the Son so that the Son may glorify you. And even as you gave Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given Him, He may give eternal life. This is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is, Rory? Here we go. Oh, you want a glory. Well, it's kind of some... The eternal life 
that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, Father, having accomplished the work which you had given me to do. That's how Jesus glorified his Father. Want to know how we glorify the Father? I'm not a complicated guy. Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. See, we all fit in that one. Verse 5, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Notice this last part, though. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was. Now, again, that tells us crystal clear that he's talking about his deity, God the Son, as God the Son, not as humanity. He's had this glory with the Father before the world was. And then, finally, they share in one love. They share the love of God. We call it the love of God, and they love each other with the love of God. They love one another before the world began. The Father loves the Son. I want you to see John 17, verse 22 to 24. And we'll wrap it up. John 17, 22 to 24. The Father loves the Son. John 17, 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. This is now the church is coming in view. I in them, and you in me. Notice this incredible unity. We get drawn into it at the end. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That's, what, that's what's happening right here, right now. We're being perfected in unity. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. There's that love. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And the Son loves the Father as well. Remember, he loves him. How does he show it? Because he does exactly what the Father commanded him to do. Like Father, like Son. Just skipped another five pages, so you'll be happy to know. We're not going to go anywhere, but um, the son, again, just to wrap up, does nothing on his own initiative. He submits to the will of his father. There is oneness and there is subordination and love. Out of his love for his son, the father has given everything to him. Out of his love for the father, the son has renounced his own will and he carries out the will of his father, even though that mission will result in death. And there are many other avenues, you know, that we could take in the Gospel of John where we will discover more things about the Son of God. There are witnesses that we didn't see this morning in the Gospel of John that testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And there are remarkable things that this Gospel says about how believers fit into that picture of God the Father and God the Son. And perhaps another time we can travel those avenues together. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing us Jesus Christ. He is the center around which our lives of unity are to be lived. We thank you for one another. And Father, we would just ask now that the glimpses we got of your glory this morning in the, in the Godhead with, with love and unity and order, that we may take those with us and understand who we are, who you are, and, sort of, and live there 
As Paul says in Colossians 3.1, set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Colorado. Yeah, careful, Pastor will try to steal those from you. <laughs> Excuse me. You can't say stuff with knives, right? Sleep. How you doing? Good. You must be Danny. What's that? Yeah. Three of them are just. They're out trying the wine. That's tough. I think he's got one. I don't know about Zach. We'll just give him grape juice. He's underage. <laughs> I got missed too. <laughs> Definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Friday, I couldn't eat the Italian stuff. I love Italian food. Yeah. That's the hard part about traveling. You don't eat well. You kinda, I always try to like not eat a bunch and drink when I have to fly because it's just you know no restrooms. You kind of tone it down and then you you have to play catch up. I feel like. And, yeah, we get on the eat out all the time. Our first flight was like 35 minutes, you know, from Nashville to Charlotte. Then gotcha. the four-hour flight, they kicked us out of a bottle of water and a bed. That was it. Yeah. It four hours. I said, I don't drink liquor. Like, really, yeah. They don't serve alcohol anymore. They don't serve alcohol anymore? Oh, wow. Four-hour trip. Yeah. Just market it and chill out. Yeah, right? maybe fall asleep a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Four hours. I did like three crosswords. <laughs> that always helps when you have somebody to kind of banter back and forth with. Right. Right. So, you know, but I, I, I do my crosswords. Yeah, but I did want to try to sleep. But yeah. the food is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. It's pretty intense. I'm waiting for yours. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, for the other one over here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could, I could even grab one too. Amazon it, have it sent over. Okay. I think so. I didn't see one plugged in there. Yep. Yep. The greedy thing, you know, that give it. Welcome back, and thank you, Pastor John Farley, for a phenomenal three lessons. That was really good, man. That last lesson kind of carved my heart up, as I told you, but, uh, you know, that's, what would you rather have happen? I mean, if you, all you got to do to be, uh, I'd rather su- do something and succeed than do nothing, or, how does that go? I'd rather do... <laughs> Try and I'd fail rather and just shut know. up and teach my lesson. <laughs> it's better to do something and fail than to do nothing and succeed. That's right. All right. So the homecoming lesson, uh, Jesus, Son of Man and Son of God by Pastor John Farley, we're really grateful for. Next is the offering. Barah Ministries certainly exists because of the grace of our amazing God, yet Barah Ministries also exists because of your generosity. And it's a pleasure to thank you personally for the investment of your time, your talent, and your treasures so that this ministry can provide the gospel message all over the world through the power of the internet and accurate biblical teaching to a lost and dying world. Please continue to let 
the financial blessings flow, and we are. And I want you to know that we are very good stewards of your trust. So let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. <laughs> Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries. I also love being a deacon for Brown Ministries, even though sometimes it's difficult. But Brown Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to real pastors teach the truth from the Word of God. And today I just want to express my love for them, for you guys, for everybody for showing up, because just like um, love is a choice, so is coming here. You got a choice not to come here, a choice to come. So that's amazing. I think that really expresses your love, not for not only for us, but for the pastor, but also for your for the for God, for Christ. I think that's amazing. But I have some bad news, and I haven't I haven't cleared this with the pastor, so I don't know if it's true or not. But I'm sorry to tell you that God's love it is uh, means saying no sometimes. It means saying no barriers. It means saying no wrongs. No conditions, no colors, and no limits. You think about pets. When you come in, you know, maybe the day before you were rubbing their nose in a mistake in the ground. You come in that next day, they don't care. They're your buddy again, right? They love you. No conditions, no barriers. You think about parents. You know, kids are crazy. Some parents want to stab their kids in the eye with a fork. (laughs) A knife. Plastic knife. Yeah, get that straight. You know, but... You know, moms, they're just an expression of love. They show, they let kids go crazy. They clean up all kinds of messes, and it's just endless worries and all kinds of stuff. But they just do it day in and day out. And that reminds me of our pastors. They go through all kinds of traumas being at the point. And here they are expressing their love with no limits, no barriers, total intimacy with us, with themselves, with everybody, with God. And that's amazing to me. There's no compromising with those guys. No barriers, no walls. And so at the offering, this is a chance for you to express to man, mankind, your love of mankind through unconditional love. And we see in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, which I highly recommend studying through Pastor Rory Clark. Very good study, Romans. Unconditional love does not keep on doing wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, when we demonstrate unconditional love for others, it is the fullness of the Mosaic law. Now, are we trying to fulfill the Mosaic Law? No. But had it been fulfilled, it would have been a great society for people to live in. It would have been unconditional love. There wouldn't have been elitism, the triclinium, and all the other stuff. It, would have, it wouldn't have happened. But it wasn't possible. Only God is, is perfect love. But we can try. We can do our best by saying no barriers, no walls, no limits. And so at the offering, let's have no limits. Right? And no change, Zach, this time, okay? Even, even, even Harmony gave five bucks, so that's pretty good. But the offering is truly a chance to worship God. It's a chance to express your love for mankind, for everybody, and for others through your time, your talent, and your treasure. So we truly appreciate when you give to the offering because it shows, it exemplifies, or it's an example of God's love for everybody. And it's our unity. The offering is also us unifying our cause to give the gospel to everybody in the world. It's one of the most important things, and that's one of our missions at this church, is to give the gospel to the world and to teach believers the truth about Christ. So thank you for always supporting this ministry and our pastors. Much love to you guys. You're amazing. Let's give them another round of applause. 
So thank you very much. Hit it, Zach. bring the Brinks truck to take the offering uh, away today. I, honestly, we never get that deep into the song. <laughs> so thank you guys. Thank you guys very much for that. So, the homecoming Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ inspired awe in us. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ inspired awe in us. <clears throat> well, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. It's a time when believers in Christ set aside time both to feel and to reflect on the deep 
intimate and personal relationship we have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we reflect, we look back to the cross, an intimate moment in divine history, and we remember the Lord's words in John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. He says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. The Lord laid down his life for us at the cross. He was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected from the dead to prove that he is who he said he is, deity, the sovereign God of the universe who holds all things together by the word of his power. Every month we obey the Lord's command then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. It says this, I, Paul, received from the Lord as the authoritative source in this matter, that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed by Judas, the night he, he was served up for slaughter, took a loaf of bread, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, and when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, in the same way Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, a new testament in my blood. Keep on doing this, and as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11.26, For as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. In this sacred celebration, we commune with the Lord. We enjoy the elements, the bread and the wine, and as we do, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for our physical sustenance and for our spiritual sustenance. The cross reminds us just how big God is. He is described with many words that cannot even begin to capture his essence. Infinite, unlimited, imminent, transcendent, vast, gargantuan, unfathomable. This God of ours parted the Red Sea to save the Jewish people. This God of ours said the battle was his as David slew Goliath. The promise he made to give us, to give the sexually dead Abraham and the barren Sarah a son was fulfilled. And their lineage from that son, the Jewish race, numbers as the sand of the seashore. And we can scarcely wrap our minds around a God so big and then at the same time think that he is concerned with those as small as us. Yet he is concerned for us. And that concern is deep and intimate and personal. Why do people fall on their faces before him? I think you hit that very well, John, glory. He's going to tell us one day, but my guess is our littleness really can't take in his bigness. 
And I've said that to you guys a lot of times, that when you study the Word of God, there will be these moments where you are overcome by emotion. And you don't really understand why that emotion happens. Now, my non-resident congregation members in the, in the Northwest understand that because they experience that every week. <laughs> they experience that every week. We just bring Kleenex to the prayer circle, and I still haven't figured out how to jam it through the screen to get it to them. But, you know, your emotions, you just get overwhelmed when you glimpse how amazing this God is and how amazing this unconditional love is that we have for each other and how we support each other and we have each other's back and we look at each other, we see each other's strengths, we see each other's weaknesses and we call each other to a higher thought process. I mean, you think that Deacon Denny was taking an offering today, he was calling me to a higher thought process. And I thank him for that. That that is why one of the many reasons why I admire this man. And I also admire it that I can tell you how I really feel and when I'm really angry and that you can laugh at me when that happens and call me to a higher purpose. And I can do the same for you. And that's an amazing thing. And that's when we experience God's bigness. When we experience how big it is that that we're calling each other to have a compassion for each other that we don't want to have because the flesh in us does not want to have it. So people fall on their faces before him because our littleness can't take in his bigness. But our littleness is not a problem to him at all. I mean, how big is unconditional love? How big is forgiveness? And how big is grace? Surely it can't be comprehended. Surely it can't be measured. How big is it when somebody says, greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friends? And that makes total sense to us, that somebody will lay their life down for their friends, and then he turns around and says, God the Father demonstrates his unconditional love for all mankind, and that while we were his enemies, while we were sinners, while we were ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers, God felt the same. He sent his son as a substitute. That's amazing. How does this God see you? We learned. And what we learned is he doesn't see you like you see yourself. He doesn't ever think of you as you think of yourself in that conversation that you're having with yourself at 5.30 in the morning when you know how wretched you are and you're looking in the mirror and wondering why it didn't melt off last night. He doesn't think of you like that. And I hope in Friday's lesson you learn how he does see you. How does his enemy see you? Deacon Denny nailed it. And we learned he sees you the exact same way that God sees you. He just hates you for it. He's jealous of you for it. He's envious of you for it. And God expects us to handle this enemy but not listening to him. Not entertaining any of his lies but instead to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We grow because of him. We take in his soul-expanding love. Our lives are illuminated because of his love. And our privilege is to build our lives on him. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27 say this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
Matthew 7:25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet that house did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. I don't know whether you've ever been in a hurricane or not, but I have. And I've been in one of the sissy hurricanes. I've been in a class, uh, what is it, category one hurricane? That, pff, 70 miles an hour and 35 foot waves, sissy hurricane. I saw it. Uh, I was I was in the lobby of a hotel when it happened, and I had this thought that this is going to be a while. I wonder if I should go over to my room and get my Doritos. <laughs> I mean, because it's no big deal to get a little wet, right? And then I saw that hurricane pick up a pole, a metal pole, turn it sideways, run it into a wall, and the wall exploded. And I was thinking that that could have been my head. I've never eaten Doritos since that day. <laughs> well, I tell you, I don't get Doritos. So. Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Matthew seven twenty seven. the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So you see, you, you're in a category one hurricane and you see things falling. But our lives are not like that because our lives are built on the rock and the rock is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when the things, the adversities and the tribulations of life come, we're not going to fall. We will not be hurled headlong. We don't have anything to fear. The life we have at our disposal is a life of awe because we are in awe of our awesome God who makes our lives possible. And when we look back at the cross, when we stop for a second at the Lord's Supper and look back at the cross, we can't help but think about Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with our God. We can't help but think about Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So as we take advantage of the next steps in our lives, as we leave and go forward, go back to our homes and go back to our lives, we keep at the front of our minds, not at the back of our minds, that this awesome God has planned for each of us a life exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And I pray that we dare to accept the bigness of this life from the bigness of our God. I join the Apostle Paul in wishing this for you, the blessings of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might have spiritual eyes, so that you will know without equivocation what is the hope of our God's calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance in you, the saints? Ephesians 1.19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? In union with our Christ, we have access to this divine power, and we have the victory in the creator-creature conflict, so there's nothing that is impossible to us. 
And it's easy to forget that when you're surrounded by the winds and the waves of the hurricane of propaganda that exists here in Satan's kingdom. But we must not forget. So let's enjoy the Lord's Supper elements together. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. And we'll enjoy the elements together in a few minutes as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. So obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22 Verses 14 to 16 say this. When the hour had come and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles reclined with him. Luke twenty-two fifteen, And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of our God. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in memory of me. Luke twenty-two twenty, And in the same way Jesus took the cup. And after they had eaten, he said, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's keep on eating this bread, and let's keep on drinking this cup, and let's do both as we remember with awe our awesome God. The Lord's Supper song is All Good Gifts by Telly Leon. on the land but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand he sends the snow in winter the warmth to swell the grain the breezes and the sunshine the soft refreshing
circle right after this. I'm eager to see how those chairs get set up for the prayer circle. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have a computer or any internet problems either, so that, that's going to be kind of fun. Uh, first, all right, so we're going to close with a song. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 say this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Yeah, a restaurant named after him, Nicky D's, you've heard of him. <laughs> So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, John 3, 2. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, here's June Murphy to remind us in song that when we choose to invest our gift of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are born again. was blind but now I see once under condemnation now I have been redeemed once in the dark now in the light because I have believed in the death and resurrection of Christ who set me free I have been born 
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm a new creation born again. Thank you, Jim. Let's close by praising our Almighty God in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord, who loves us unconditionally. Romans eight thirty-eight. For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect, elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, Romans 8.39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father, who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you so much for letting a group of your loyal believers, loyal to you and loyal to your word, get together this weekend. We thank you for blessing our proceedings. We ask for traveling mercies for those who are going home as they go home. We thank you for this time to rest, to relax, to recharge, and to build relationship with people who are like-minded, one in you, one in spirit, one in unity, who love you with all our hearts. We just ask you to keep on giving us the challenges that you give us, Keep on helping us to achieve the victories. Keep on taking us to the spiritual gymnasium so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be adequate representatives of your unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace in a lost and dying world. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.